Hey everybody, it's Brock Falk, and I want to thank you for listening to this message from Heritage Church of Christ. We would be thrilled to share more content like this with you and make it easy for you to share it with others. You can find more messages like this on our podcast, or you can download our smartphone app by searching for Heritage Church of Christ in your app store. But most importantly, I hope this message encourages you to take a next step toward a thriving relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. But they didn't understand this kind of talk, and they were afraid to ask him. They entered Capernaum. When they had come into a house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about during the journey? They didn't respond since on the way they'd been debating with each other about who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be least of all and a servant of all. Jesus reached for a little child, placed him among the twelve, and embraced him, saying, Whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me isn't actually welcoming me, but rather the one who sent me. Um, This is the part of the morning where I'm supposed to tell you how excited I am to be here. It's a pretty standard operating procedure for a visiting preacher. Uh, But I want to express my sincerity in that this morning. I'm really excited to be here for a couple of reasons. Uh, The first is that when I was about to start third grade, my dad took a job in the communications department at this college in in Texas we'd never heard of called TCU. And for the next four years, we lived in Fort Worth, and most of that time, we worshiped at a church called the Midtown Church of Christ, uh, which a couple decades later became Heritage Church of Christ. And so uh, that church played a a big part in my spiritual formation growing up. At the time, they had this hotshot preacher, um, Jim Hackney was his name. I wonder whatever happened to that guy. no, but I, I'll tell you what I remember about Jim is he was the first person I ever saw pull off preaching in a three-piece suit and cowboy boots. I, I didn't grow up in Texas. I had never seen that before. I thought that was pretty impressive. So th- this church means something to me and has for a long time, and, I, and I'm really thrilled to be here with you. But, but I also need you to know part of the reason I'm excited to be here is because I love Brock. Uh, my guess is that you know it, but I want to make sure you do. You, you all are so blessed to have Brock Pock. Um, yeah, please. Check or Venmo, whatever, Brock, just however you want. Uh, uh, w- when I got invited to preacher camp the first time, I, I knew one person there, it wasn't Brock. And uh, I'm a bit of an introvert. And Brock took the time to get to know me sooner than just about anyone else did. And and it would be really impossible for you to to understand how much of a blessing he has been in my life since then. Uh, I'm a better preacher. I'm a better pastor. uh, I'm a better husband and father and son. Uh, There are probably a few days uh, that Brock may have contributed to keeping me alive over the last few years. Uh, He's been that kind of friend to me. Uh, and, and I know he's been that kind of friend to many of you. And so I, I am excited and humbled and a little bit terrified to be standing in his space this morning sharing a word with you. But I, I'll, I'll do my best to, to hold up my end of the bargain. Well, one of the things I have learned about Brock over the last few years, though, is that on his bucket list has always been a desire to go deep sea fishing and hook a big billfish. 
who really wanted to just fight with a marlin or a swordfish or something like that. And in January, Brock, myself, and several preachers got to go on a fishing trip like that. And when you know it, when it was Brock's turn to sit in the chair, we hooked a nine-foot-plus marlin. I believe there's a picture of that. He fought that thing for over an hour all by himself. We got it in the boat, took three people to hold it up for the picture. Look how happy he is. Um, and it, it, it was just amazing to watch him. He, he sort of giggled periodically throughout it, right? And then, and then when it was over, he, he was exhausted but, but ecstatic. And, and I, we've got video of this. Someone said, Brock, how do you feel? And he said, that was awesome. That was like a dream. Isn't it, isn't it great when you have one of those, those experiences where, where the, the hype lives up to reality? Where, like where, where the, the experience is as good or better than you were, you were wanting it to be, uh, than your expectations were. Now, I do need to say, Brock was not the only one who caught a giant fish that day. Uh, I also caught a fish. I, I don't think we have a picture of it, but it was a, it was a really... <laughs> I, I didn't mean to put that slide in there. Um, apparently... Apparently the kids at the Polk House have started referring to me as Little Fish Josh. And, I, and we haven't talked about this yet, but I, I don't really appreciate that. Uh, I'm just kidding. Why, why do we do that? Why, why do we take everything in life and turn it into a reason to, to compare ourselves to one another? Am I, am I the only one who does that? Everybody, everybody shake your heads like this. No. We, we do that as human beings. We, we have this tendency to want to turn everything into a competition. Anytime we ask some version of the question, how am I doing, what we usually end up doing is looking around at what everybody else is doing and trying to figure out how we stack up compared to them. I don't, I don't know why we do it, but I know that we do. And I tell you what's strange is that, is that we do it even though we know it's not really a winning proposition. We, we can always find one, someone who seems to have it better than us. We can always find someone whose grass is a little bit greener. D did you see Mike's new car? Yeah, well, if I played politics the way he did, I could have gotten a promotion too. D did you hear the Smiths went on vacation to Europe for a month this summer? Yeah, it must be nice to own your own business. I, I wish, wish I had majored in something different in college. I I'm, worried about, I'm worried about little Manny. You know, he, he doesn't have as many words as the neighbor's kid did at that age. But m maybe we should see a doctor or something. Every time we begin to evaluate ourselves by looking around at others, we're, we're playing a losing game. If you, don't, if you don't believe me so far, just, just Google the research, any research, on the impact of extended use of social media and mental health, particularly amongst young people. The more time we spend looking at other people's lives and then thinking about our own lives, the more likely we are to experience depression, anxiety, Disappointment, suicide, a variety of other mental illnesses. We, we, we know that when we spend our lives looking at other people and playing the comparison game, we're always going to find a way to lose. And yet we are somehow predisposed to that in such a, a strong way. That's what the disciples are doing that day in our text, right? Jesus sets them, pulls them aside and says, hey, let's, let's talk about something. He explains to them for the second time in Mark's gospel, what's going to happen? I'm gonna be handed over to others. They're gonna arrest me. They're gonna, they're gonna torture me. They're gonna execute me. But then I'll be raised again. And the disciples take what is, is a shocking and important teaching 
and they just sort of have no response to that. Mark says they don't really understand what it is he's trying to tell them. And as soon as Jesus is done, they continue on their journey, but, but apparently Jesus keeps up the pace and some of the disciples kind of drop back to the back of the pack and they begin to have a conversation of their own. They begin to discuss who among them is the greatest of Jesus' followers. They, they begin to swap fishing stories of their own. Talk about who, who's the most important of those who follow Jesus. They've clearly missed his meaning, or perhaps just misunderstood Jesus altogether. C can you imagine what that must have, se must have seemed like to Jesus? He, he sits down with them and tells them, look, I, I need to tell you what's going to happen. In order for me to fulfill the mission that God has given me, I, I'm going to have to be arrested. I'm going to have to be prosecuted, executed. God's going to deliver me, but, I, but I'm going to go through some stuff. I, I'm going to have to be willing to go through this. And their response is to say, oh, we don't really know what that means, but um, let's talk about which of us is most important. Let's talk about who of us, who of us sticks out the most. Remember, before Jesus was anything else to them, he was their rabbi. Now, if you're the student of a rabbi, your goal is to so fully embrace the, the teaching, the, the ideology, the way of living of your rabbi that you begin to look more and more like your rabbi, that, that you become almost a representation of that rabbi. There's an old Mishnah that says, let the student be covered in the dust of their rabbi's feet. Now, whether, whether that means that when the rabbi teaches, you sit so close to his feet, you get caught up in the dust, or that you follow in the footsteps so closely that as the rabbi's walking, the dust that they kick up just sort of covers you like a cloud. The, the point is clear. We're meant to stay close to our rabbi and, and to, to embrace the example that Jesus sets forward. Jesus is talking about sacrificing his life, and they're talking about who's better among them. Who's the first? They seem to be more following uh, uh, Rabbi Ricky Bobby, right? If you ain't first, you're last. Jesus provides a corrective for this. He won't let their silence stand. He calls aside the 12, specifically uh, those, those apostles who are appointed to do uh, the special work of sharing in his proclamation, and sits down among them and explains that there's a different kind of greatness in the kingdom of God. If you want to be great, you've got to be willing to serve others. If you want to be first, you must be least of all and servant of all. He corrects Ricky Bobby's philosophy. It's not if you ain't first, you're last. If it's you're not willing to be last, you can't be first. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. It's what he says to us. He illustrates this further by bringing a child into the midst. Right? He calls a child in among them, he embraces this child, and he says, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me, and not just me, but the one who sent me, God. Now, sometimes when we read this text, uh, I, I've heard some, some bad interpretation of what it is we're supposed to take from this, this, this reference to children here. Uh, it, it's especially true if you read it out of Mark, uh, Matthew. Matthew's account says, not just welcome the child, but become like the child. I've heard a lot of teachers say that this, this is about calling them to the innocence and the purity of heart of children. And, and usually when I hear someone say that, I think, I, I don't feel like you've spent a lot of time around children, right? Um, let me be clear, I love my kids. 
It is the joy and honor of my life to be their parent. I, I love spending time with them. They, they are not that innocent. I, I have a five-year-old who, who is just at times overwhelmingly kind and generous and loving, but, but also can be a really sort of devious and self-involved monster when the mood strikes her, right? Every, every time I hear someone teach that text this way, I'm reminded of a story that my in-laws share a lot. I'm married to this amazing woman, Brooke. She is the uh, oldest of two daughters. She has a younger sister named Emily. They're about five, five and a half years apart. When they were younger, one of their regular family uh, events was to drive to the, the grandparents' house in Winsboro, Texas. And they'd spend the weekend with grandmother and granddad. And one of the traditions when they would go to visit grandmother and granddad is that their grandmother would take them to Walmart, a couple towns over, right? And let each one of them pick out a toy or a treat of some kind and she would buy it for them and that's what they could play with while they were there on their visit. On one of those excursions to Walmart, or the Walmart as they call it, I don't know why, but that's what they say, uh, Emily, Brooke's younger sister, was standing at the cashier line watching them ring up the couple of toys and and I guess she was maybe five, six at the time, Brooke was 10 or 11, and she was paying attention to the cost that was popping up on the screen. She looked over to grandmother, with concerned eyes, looked back at my wife, Brooke. She wasn't my wife then, she was 11, but you get the picture. Looks back at Brooke, looks back at grandmother and says, Grandmommy, I don't want you to be poor. You shouldn't spend all your money on toys for us. Brooke can put hers back. It doesn't take long for us to figure out there's a way to make this better for me. There's a way to make this story all about me. Jesus is not calling us to embrace the innocence and the purity of heart of children. He's actually calling us to see the vulnerability and the helplessness of children. See, children are dependent upon others from, for the first many years of their lives just for their basic needs to be met. Particularly in Jesus' times, children have no social standing. They have no political power. There's not a cultural norm that says, hey, we really honor and uphold and protect our children. They can't generate income. They're a burden on the family and on society until they're able to go out and do work. And it isn't that people don't love their children, but they love their children. And if you want to get ahead in life, the last thing you do is, well, you know, I've I've been helping a lot of kids lately. I got a lot of favors built up in the children community because they can't do anything to better your situation. Now, now listen, doing a favor for somebody who's got power, it's a good idea. Do, doing a favor for somebody who has money, do, doing a favor for someone who has influence in the community, that, that's smart. That's the kind of thing that can make your situation better down the line. But, but, but you can't cash in a chip with a kid, right? I don't have anything to offer. And Jesus says, it's those kind of people that you've got to be willing to serve. Not, not just those who can better your situation. Not just those who have it better than you that you'd like to be on their part of the playing field. You've got to be willing to serve those amongst the society that say, this person has no value. If you, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be willing to get down with the least. In fact, in verse 37, four times he uses this word welcome. Dekomai in Greek, right? Jesus says four times, welcome, welcome, welcome. That word can, can mean to welcome, uh, to, to invite, to accept. 
It, it also, though, can mean just to take hold of as one's own. In, in other words, Jesus is not talking about some periodic, arm's length act of service. Jesus is talking about hospitality. You got, you got to be willing to go where people are. You got to be willing to welcome them into your life. You've got to be willing to serve them in ways that, that mean you're, you're not just going to say, hey, I hope you do okay today, but, 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 I, but I'm here and I'm engaged now. I'm a part of this with you. When you extend that kind of service and welcome to others, particularly those who can never repay you, Jesus says you're actually serving him and serving the God who sent to him, who sent him. I think Jesus would want us to hear from this passage today. I'm convinced it's what he's trying to tell his disciples. Don't look around the world in order to figure out, hey, how do I stack up? Where do I stand? What's my rank? How good have I got it? How can I make it better? He wants us to have eyes that look at other people, but that look to see, how can I serve? Where am I needed? Where can I make a difference? Who's being overlooked? Not where can I get a hand up, but who needs a hand up? Now, if you're like me, I'm, I hope you're not, but if you are like me, uh, I, I, could, I could see us wanting to say, okay, I get it, humility, service, hospitality, do those things, Jesus says, that, that'll make us great. I, I wanna be clear, that is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not telling us how we become great. Jesus is telling us what greatness looks like in the kingdom. This is really important, right? He's not talking about how we earn our way to a better status. He's saying when you are doing the great things of the kingdom, this is what your life will look like. This is what it looks like in the kingdom. After all, that's Jesus' life, right? The greatest teacher who ever lived, God in flesh. And look at who he picks to be his disciples. Fisherman, a tax collector, a whole bunch of other people that the world has gone, eh, thanks, but no thanks. People who clearly are struggling to understand what it is he's saying. He's not picking the best and the brightest, those who will help him get his message out in a way that really ups his Q rating, right? Jesus picks those who are ready to hear. Jesus picks those who are ready to follow. Jesus picks those who who need him and are, are willing to do whatever it takes to follow him, even when they don't understand what it is he's calling them to. Jesus lays down his life in order to serve us. This is really important. Jesus is not saying, this is how you earn greatness. Jesus is saying, this is how we reveal it to the world around us, kingdom greatness. I I wanna share a brief text with you from Mark chapter one. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I dearly love, in you I find happiness. 
Some of you may be reading from different translations this morning. I, I, I like this one. But, but regardless, what we see here is this moment where Jesus comes and receives the baptism of John. John who says, uh, listen, I'm telling you it's good news, but, but there's one coming after me who I, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. And yet he comes and receives John's baptism. And I think sometimes we miss a lot of the critical things in this text. Those of us who grew up in churches of Christ know, oh, this is one of those baptism texts, right? But, but Jesus is not here to talk about baptism. The, the point of the baptism is to see how God responds to Jesus. I don't know you, but when I've thought about this text before, I, I get this vision of like a little kind of trap door in the sky opening up. And a dove sort of drops out of it and then a voice comes booming. I, I don't think that's the image here. I think it would be better to think of this as a moment where the, the dimension in which God exists and where we live is sort of separated by, a, by, by an invisible veil. And for, and for just a moment, that veil is pulled back and we're allowed to see the way God sees his creation. And he looks at Jesus and he sees Jesus and he said, oh, that is my child. I love my child and I am so pleased every time I look at him. He, he declares the goodness and the greatness of Jesus in this moment. N.T. Wright says in his commentary about Mark chapter 1, I think I've got this on a slide here. The whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this. When God, the living God looks at us, at every baptized and believing Christian, he says to us what he said to Jesus on that day. He sees us not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Jesus Christ. I, I want you to know, God looks at those of us who have given ourselves to Jesus and sees Jesus. And if we could just peel back the veil for a minute, we would see him looking at us saying, that is my child. They are great. I am so happy with them. Hear me. I'm not saying God doesn't see it when you make mistakes. I'm not saying God doesn't see the room for improvement. Of course he does. God wants to help you get there. But your greatness in the eyes of God has been established. You are part of the kingdom. You've been granted full citizenship, not just citizenship, son and daughtership. The creator of the universe has declared you good. Don't worry about how you stack up to other people. God says you're worth it. Um, I have a $100 bill here. Um, I don't want you to think I just carry these around. I had to ask my wife's permission to get this. Uh, and after four or five signatures, she finally let me have one. Now, now this is worth what? $100. What would it cost to make one of these? $100? Is, is the paper particularly valuable? Hmm. 
Have, have, you, ever, have you ever been to the store and you give them a, a bill and they do this? Because you've got to make sure it's real, right? Because see, the, you could just print something that looks like this on a piece of paper and you might fool somebody. But then all you'd have really is just a piece of paper with some ink on it, which, which by the way is all this actually is. What makes this worth $100 is not what is in this piece of paper itself. It is that a greater authority says this has value. It has the value of $100. And anywhere you go that that greater authority is recognized, this value has to be honored. I want you to know that when I look at myself most of the time, if I'm being really honest, especially if I look at myself and I start looking around, I think, not worth much. Not a lot of value there. But the one who made me says, no. No, my child. Every time I look at him, he makes me so happy. God looks at you the same way. Hear, hear me on this. I am not telling you it's a bad idea or that God is not pleased if you try to do your very best with whatever you put your hands to. If you want to be the best in your field, go for it. If you want to pursue that next degree, by all means. If, if you'd like to live in a bigger house and you feel like you can do that and still honor God, go ahead. Make sure you can pay for it, obviously. But, but you know, just like, go ahead. God, God is pleased when we do our best. I, I, I believe that. So long as we don't ever think that by doing our best, we have in some way become worth more. Because God says, no, 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 I have already assigned value to you that you could never achieve on your own. And when we succeed, and when we achieve, and when, when we have wins in this world, may we never look around to see how we compare to other people. May we look around to see how that blessing can be passed on to others around us. That is greatness. That, that is what it means to really win. And yes, it's a different economy than the world we live in. And so we're, 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 we are constantly bombarded by messages that, that say, look around, look around, look around. You've got to have what they have. You've got to have what they have. You've got to be able to do what they can do. But our God says, no, 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 don't look around. Look at me. Let me pull the curtain back for a minute and tell you, I love you. You're great as you are. Uh, it is not always easy to serve the way God calls us to. I, I, I want you to know that. Um, most of you know that. It wasn't easy for Jesus. And, and once some of these disciples got it and began to embrace their calling, what well, wasn't easy for them? But it was good. It was great. There's an addendum to that fishing story. Let me just tell you that. About the time Brock sat down in the chair and started reeling that fish in, I thought, whew, I don't feel very good. Yeah, I, I got seasick. Did, did I mention it was an all-day fishing trip? Did, did I mention 
that Brock fought that fish for an hour? We, we just sat and let the ocean toss us for an hour. Oh, Brock. Uh, I watched, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's Sunday morning, I'm gonna be, be, you know. I watched most of that fishing battle leaning over the side of the boat, right? I had a rough day. But the joy I got from watching my friend that I love get to do something he's been dying to do. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not, I'm not rushing out to a deep sea fishing boat anytime soon again, but it was worth it. Those pictures are worth it. And the glory to be revealed in the age to come is worth whatever trials we face in the age we currently live in. I want to offer a blessing over you, and then I'll be done. May you leave here this morning convinced that God loves you. May you leave here this morning emboldened to share the love of God with those who are most in need of it. I want to invite you to do one thing with me. Next slide, if you will. Can we say this together? I am a dearly loved child of God. My God delights in me. May you go assured of that and live into that the rest of this day, the rest of this week, the rest of your life. Thanks for spending some time with me this morning.